0: Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort, good to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, heard in over 100 countries. Transit Unplugged news and views this week with our special newsmaker interview with Mike Bagshaw, who I recently got the chance to sit down with in London. Mike is the chief operating officer of MTR UK, the operating company that has been made famous for their operations of transit in Hong Kong, And now they're operating the new Elizabeth line in London for TFL. We talk all about it on this week's Newsmaker interview. We also have a lot of headline news this week from the industry. And we'll have our normal contributors of Alea and Mike as well on this episode of Transit Unplugged News and Views. Well, headline Washington, D.C. This last week, the Washington, D.C. Council of the Government Council for the city voted 13 to 0 unanimously to waive fares for Metrobus trips that originate in the District of Columbia. The council vote clears the way for a follow-up formality vote to finalize the approval. Under the plan, free Metrobus rides would begin on July 1, 2023. The council member Charles Allen said today's vote on this transformational bill shows the district is ready to be a national leader in the future of public transit. Last week, Council President Phil Mendelssohn said he'd bring up the bill for a vote, and he did, and it passed unanimously. Under the plan, the D.C. government, one of the four agencies that helped fund uh, WMATA, which includes the federal government, Virginia, Maryland, and D.C., under this plan, the D.C. government would pay Metro, WMATA, Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority, $42 million annually, which would make the bus rides free inside the nation's capital. Council members had originally wanted to give D.C. residents $100 a month to ride Metro Rail, but that idea appears to be shelved for now. So big news coming out of Washington, D.C., and we'll see um, when it finally is implemented. We'll bring you updates on how that could impact ridership in the district. Lots of news with uh, CEOs lately in the industry. Two major CEOs have announced their resignation in the last week or so. Terry White, the CEO of King County Metro in Seattle, and Alex Wiggins, the CEO of New Orleans Regional Transit Authority. Both of them wrote chapters in my book, Conversations on Equity and Inclusion in Public Transportation. As a matter of fact, Alex Wiggins was the opening chapter and Terry White was a summary chapter. Both gentlemen announcing this week uh, that they're retiring. Terry White is retiring as King County Metro general manager at the end of this year. He joined King County Metro in 1987 as a customer service specialist, and he held 13 positions prior to becoming general manager. The agency has nominated deputy general manager, Michelle Allison, to lead the agency after White's retirement. Dow Constantine, the King County Metro executive, said, on behalf of the people of King County, I want to thank Terry White for over 35 years of exemplary service, and especially for leading Metro through the unprecedented challenges of the pandemic. And um, in 2022, this last year, King County was recognized by the Federal Transit Administration as the country's most equitable transit agency in tackling climate change. The agency also hosted the flagship conference for the American Public Transportation Association, which we were able to attend here on the podcast. And we also did a book signing that included Terry and Alex it at the Vauntus booth on the trade show floor. I talked to um I talked to Terry this week and he said it was always his plan to retire this year um and uh he is excited about his future and uh, he've received numerous accolades for his time of service there. We thank him for his service to our industry uh and wish him the very best in whatever life brings him next. We also want to cover the retirement of Alex Wiggins. He has served as New Orleans Regional Transit Authority CEO since July 2019. He too will retire on December 31st, 2022, after a 38 career in the transit industry. He's retiring from the RTA. He may not be retiring from our industry. Wiggins was New Orleans RTA's first publicly appointed CEO since it was formed in 1979 and helped guide the authority through its move to bring management of its rail and bus operations in-house. The authority has achieved numerous uh, goals. They implemented a simplified fare structure, launched a pilot-on-demand program for its flex services under Wiggins' leadership. They won grants to begin to transition to zero-emission buses and implemented a network redesign to improve connectivity to neighboring parishes. Wiggins said, thank you to the RTA board, staff, and riders for trusting me to lead our incredible staff to help build the world-class transit system New Orleanians deserve. I'm proud of our team's many accomplishments, including our response to Hurricane Ida, the stabilization of the passenger ferry service, breaking ground on the Canal Street Ferry Terminal and initiating the bus rapid transit study, which will significantly enhance regional connections in the region. Wiggins is a veteran of the United States Army, the Air Force Reserve and the Seattle Police Department and uh, has a long history in transit as well. He served as a City of Seattle strategic advisor for light rail and chief of staff at the Seattle Department of Transportation before moving to North County Transit District to serve as chief administrative officer. He also served as Deputy Executive Director of Chicago Region's METRA, Vice President of Transit Safety and Security and Chief System Security and Law Enforcement Division at LA Metro. Uh, Mark Raymond Jr., the New Orleans RTA Board Chairman, said the RTA Board of Commissioners would like to thank Alex Z. Wiggins, who joined the RTA at a pivotal time in the agency's history, his New Orleans roots, and vast transit experience gleaned from transit properties in Seattle, Chicago, and Southern California uniquely positioned him to lead the agency through its transition. And so congratulations to him and also congratulations to Lona Edward Hankins, who will serve as interim CEO until the RTA Board of Commissioners permanently fills the role. She has served as deputy CEO for planning the infrastructure since December of 2019. So big changes in the industry uh, from two of our leading uh, transit chief executive officers, On the flip side, a a new uh, head of the Federal Highway Administration has just been confirmed. And that is um, a friend of ours here on the program, Shailene Batt, the United uh, States Department of Transportation, announced that he has been confirmed by the Senate as the 21st administrator of the Federal Highway Administration. He's the first person of Indian descent in his role, and he will lead the Federal Highway Administration in administering more than $350 billion as part of the bipartisan infrastructure law. Prior to his confirmation, Mr. Bat served as executive director of the Colorado Department of Transportation, a cabinet secretary of the Delaware Department of Transportation, and FHWA associate administrator for policy and government affairs during the Obama administration. And um, Secretary Pete Buttigieg of the U.S. Department of Transportation said from his leadership of the Colorado and Delaware Departments of Transportation to his work in the private sector, to his service at FHWA during the Obama administration. Mr. Bat brings a wealth of transportation experience to the USDOT. He's also a friend of public mobility and uh, is going to um, take over now as the official administrator of the Federal Highway Administration. So that's a look of headline news around our industry. Uh, thanks for. Uh, all, all those folks for the service they have provided to our industry. And now stay tuned for our newsmaker interview with Mike Bagshaw, chief operating officer of MTR UK on this episode of transit unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort with Mike Bagshaw, chief operating officer of MTR UK. We're talking from London. Mike, thanks so much for being a guest on the show today.
1: Good afternoon, Paul. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so Mike, um,
0: Tell us a little bit, let's let's open up, uh, talk a little bit about MTR, the company you work with, what you guys do. You're really famous for what you're doing in Hong Kong and also for what you're doing here in the UK
1: because you just did something amazing this week. What did you do? Absolutely. So, <laughs> so what we did this week is effectively we joined up the Elizabeth Line. So we joined up the three parts of the, the Elizabeth Line this Sunday, 6th of November, and we made it one end-to-end railway. That's amazing, man.
0: Yeah. So we'll talk more about that in a minute. But... Uh today we're going to be talking about rail and some of the things MTR is doing around the world and some of the concepts that I think people can learn from around the world.
1: Tell us a little about yourself, Mike. You've got a fascinating background. So I've got a, a long career in the rail industry now, some sort of 32 years. So I started uh, back in 89 in front-line roles, answering telephones from British Rail, as it was in the day then. Um, worked in ticket offices worked through sort of customer relations type type roles. Um, So my first sort of, you know, sort of meaty experience was with Chiltern Railways at the early days of privatisation when there was a lot of innovation, a lot of great ideas to run more services, build new track, build new stations, um, you know, launch really competitive fares. So I I spent, um, you know, the early part of my management career in um, Chiltern Railways, um spent a little bit of time with the Strategic Rail Authority. I, I then moved to Wales and I was um, commercial director for Reba Trains Wales for a while. So that was a really exciting opportunity working with the Welsh government and, and really developing the railway system there. And um, I joined MTR in 2016, initially with a in a bidding role, and then got very closely involved with the Elizabeth line, particularly planning the staged opening plan and, and, and getting all, you know, making sure we had all the foundations in place to run a really high-performing railway. And um, my, my role as CRO now is now wider, so I have some operational oversight across our UK activities.
0: Very good. So you're Chief Operating Officer of MTR UK. Where else do you all... What? It, so you do the Elizabeth Line. Tell us what you do there, and then tell us a little bit more about what the expanse of what you do here in the UK.
1: So so we are the operator for Elis- the Elizabeth Line on behalf right. of TfL. So es- essentially, we run the trains, we provide the staff, including the drivers and, and, the, and the customer-facing staff.
0: Okay, and tell us what that is, the Elizabeth Line, for people around the world
1: that may not be familiar. It's, it's one of the coolest things that's happened in transit in the last year. So it's it's a, a huge project. The Elizabeth Line is, a, you know, the, the end result of a £20 billion railway project. So it's a, it's a tunnel that runs under London from... Paddington, through to Abbey Wood, and it connects the, the Nas- into the National Rail Network, linking trains through from Reading, from Heathrow Airport, through underneath central London, through to Abbey Wood, via um, Canary Wharf, and um, Stratford in East London, through to Shenfield. And uh, so it's named after... Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah, and she was... Were you there when she was there? When, I was, and it was a great honor. I mean, none of us knew she was going to, um, you know, come to the opening of the Elizabeth Line, so it was a fantastic day when uh, when, when, the Queen turned up to, to open the Elizabeth yeah, Line. What, what like this, yeah, what a last big event she did. Absolutely, so it was a real honor that she was there to, to yeah. open the line. So
0: Andy Byford was there at that time, right? He was indeed, yes. 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 I remember Andy's a good friend of ours in the show, has been mm-hmm. on here twice, and Mark Wilde, uh, what was his role? He kind of got it all back and going, right?
1: Ab- absolutely. So Mark Wilder had you know, absolutely critical role that, um, leading the Crossrail project and basically, you know, finishing Crossrail, getting the getting the tunnel open so that right. we run this train service that we're running today. So that
0: was the TFL, the government, and then they contracted out to your company to Correct. actually run it day to day. Absolutely. And how
1: long do you have a long contract for that? So, so our, our contract runs for another two years. We just recently had an extension, so okay. that we can really oversee the, you know, the final stages of the Elizabeth Line and, and you know, just cement that that yeah. really high performing railway. So.
0: And it's running now. So, are you seeing? You told me you rode it today. I mean, is ridership good
1: or Yeah, happening? ridership's good. The trains are really busy. You know, we're carrying sort of upwards of you know quarter of a million passengers a day. You know, and it's rising, rising all the time. So the, the trains are busy, and of course, because we've linked it up this week. Now people that were you know are now coming in from Heathrow, for example, no longer need to change at Paddington. If they're coming into central London, they can travel straight through to Bond Street, Tottenham Court Road, Farringdon, Liverpool Street in the city, all the way through to Canary Wharf. So Um, And likewise, in the east, you know, passengers coming in from stations such as Romford, Ilford, no longer need to change it. Liverpool Street, they can travel straight through. Wow, that's wonderful. Straight through train to Paddington. So it's the connectivity that the Elizabeth Line has uh, delivered is, you know, is really, really fantastic.
0: And it comes just in time, really, right? So we're coming out of the pandemic when ridership has been down we give people a convenient option fast clean beautiful i saw the stations i was watching yeah. them mark wild was posting you know on on linkedin or as each station opened up i mean
1: yeah beautiful I mean, the stations are absolutely fantastic you know i think i think people are amazed by the you know how great the stations are! Yeah, you know you can see people like filming them as they come down the escalators. You know they're was, gleaming, right? They're, they're yeah. absolutely <laughs> gleaming because and they're all, you know, they're all individual as well. You know, they've all got sort of individual, you know, styles that are reflected of the areas that they serve.
0: Yeah, I think that's important. I don't. I think that you know, at least in the
1: U.S., a lot of this push toward the uh, lowest bid on
0: everything. We lose the grandeur yeah. that you see in some other transit systems yeah. in Europe. You know.
1: Yeah. I, I don't think you can be failed to be impressed by the architecture on yeah. the Elizabeth Lyons stations. They're absolutely that's, fantastic. Well
0: that's wonderful. And you're you're responsible as COO for the running every day. And what else do you all do here in the UK?
1: So we're we um we're also involved with Southwestern Railway. We're a thirty percent um, shareholder of Southwestern Railway along with along with First Group. Um we're also in infrastructure, so we are, you know, delivering a number of infrastructure projects on behalf of um, TfL currently. Um we've been involved in projects such as Liverpool Street platform extensions, where we were able to, um, you know, complete that important piece of, uh, of work at, at much lower cost and um, with less disruption than would otherwise have been the case. So, you know, using our expertise as a train operator and an infrastructure um, delivery partner is is absolutely key. And and the other part of our our business is, is property, and particularly rail related property. So, um, you know, as people may know the. In Hong Kong, essentially, the um, the railway is paid for by the shopping malls and the you know the apartment blocks that sit over and above the stations. We're currently seeing if we can replicate that model in the UK. So, for example, we we are consulting on a scheme to redevelop Liverpool Street Station at the moment, which um, will effectively mean that the you know Network Rail are, are, are able to gain a, a brand new concourse, which. Which won't need any public money because we'll be building a, a new hotel and an office block above the station, so that will effectively fund the uh, you know a brand new co- co- station concourse with level access and you know three times the size that it currently is. That's something. Yeah, that's.
0: I first became familiar with your company through the work they do in Hong Kong.
1: We were studying it in the U.S. about how – so tell us a little bit more about that. You call that the Property Plus model? Property Plus model, yeah. I mean, if you've been to Hong Kong, you will – you know, most of the stations sit underneath, a, you know, a, a shopping mall or another development essentially. And and the property values in Hong Kong um, are, you know, are, are such that the value of that property development could, can fund – um, the operating of the network and also the extensions of the network as well. So, you know, new lines, new stations. Um, you know, it's a model that works without being dependent on public money.
0: That's amazing. So, do you all own that property? You, you own, you
1: like, you'll buy a hunk of land and yeah, develop M- a shopping NCR in center. Hong Kong will, yes. will will buy the land, will develop the, um, okay. the the area, and then and then build build the new railways. That's amazing. And then that covers the operating and capital cost. Absolutely. So, 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 the model does work in, in areas where you've got sort of, you know, high property value. Right, right. So, you know, particularly central London, I think, I think the model can work. It can't be replicated everywhere because you, you do have to have areas where, you know, where, where land values and property values right. are high. Um, but, but we're certainly seen, keen to see, you know, with public money being so tight at the moment, you know, can we deliver some real improvements for passengers without, without asking the government for any money at all? And and the U.K. is famous for that. I mean, outside of London,
0: the franchise model where they're doing here. But everywhere else, that's kind of the way things have operated, right? For bus services especially. Uh, Bus companies like Arriva, maybe he used to work for, or Tower Transit. I met with them one time in the first group. They would just decide on a route... Run it by the local
1: government and then run it, right? Without absolutely. without subsidy. Absolutely. That's very unique. Uh, America doesn't do things. No, yeah, no, no, absolutely. And you know, and I think with public money being, you know, tight at the moment, the more we can do without, you know, government subsidy or less government subsidy, right. you know, the better.
0: Now on Elizabeth Line, that, that probably is all subsidized and everything, right?
1: Yeah, I mean the Elizabeth Line is um you know, is funded funded by Transport for London. We're yeah. a concession, we, we operate the trains, we provide the drivers, etc. Um, but but the revenue and the and the cost is 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 borne by TFL. Yeah. Um, are you
0: seeing uh, where else does MTR operate? I mean, just give me a little bit about the company itself. Yeah. So,
1: so we operate in um, Sweden. We have sort of we're quite a sizable operation in in Stockholm. We operate the main metro system in in Sweden in in Stockholm. Two commuter operations and an open access operation between um, Stockholm and Gothenburg. So a major operator in Stockholm. We also operate the um, the Melbourne and the Sydney uh, metro systems in, in Australia. Um, we operate in, in mainline China and obviously you know, a major major operation in Hong Kong as well. Wow. What do you do in China? Um, we, we run some of the metro systems in, okay. in China. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. i details of them. But That's our, all right. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting.
0: So um, what are some of the hot trends coming from the rail industry right now? You and I were talking ahead of
1: time about... Some of the digital processes that are happening and tying it all together. Well, I think that, you know the the key key for us has been to make sure the Elizabeth line is a punctual, um, you know, service that customers can rely on. Yes. So we've used our sort of digital twin, um, you know, our, our techniques to to model timetables okay. to, to really test the timetables for the Elizabeth line before they actually are launched in passenger service. So the timetables have been modelled, refined, remodeled, refined again. So the result for the passenger is, you know, we get, we give them the, the most reliable service that we we possibly can. So that investment in the digital technology yeah. to do that modelling has been really key. And we're now trying to, you know, extend that investment to how we, you know, can manage the service in a real-time way so that we can recover from any operational incidents um, more quickly. So that's that's absolutely key for us as well. Um, certainly our investment in digital technology really paid off this week when we were able to, um, you know, we had some strikes planned for this week. That's right. It and all, to be rail strikes, and all yeah. the rosters and everything was planned around rail strikes. And, and then they were called off. Uh, and using our digital processes, we were able to get the, you know, the up-to-date information over to Network Rail so we could change the systems and, and replan our services really quickly. And we are probably one of only a few op- operators that managed to run a full service this week because yeah. we were able to reinstate our services following the cancellations of the truck strike. So it, it does show that sort of investments in the right technology, the right systems, does pay off when you're, you're delivering services to passengers. Now, does the Elizabeth line operate on headway management or time point management? Um, so both. Okay. So it is effectively a timetable service on the east and the west, and it's a headway service in the core operating section. So, you know, we'll be running, let's say, two-and-a-half-minute intervals okay. in the core operating section. And then out on the west, it'll be, you know, four trains an hour to Heathrow, two trains an hour to Reading. So a mixture of both, which is a really unique characteristic for this this railway. Were you responsible for procuring the vehicles as well? Uh, TFL um, procured them. Procured the them, yeah. And what, the what type of vehicles are they, do you know? So we have they're the, Alstom Class 345s. four fives. Okay. Very good. And it's they're I'm sure they're, uh, are they electric? They're, they're, they're electric and they transition between three different signaling systems. So they're quite a complicated train to wow. work, with or, work with all the different um, software that, that's the um, Elizabeth line. Cause you know, we have different signaling systems on the east side of the, the route and the west. And when we go into the, um, into the central operating section, it's um, automatic train operation.
0: That's amazing. Um, I'm sure you have a big, control operations control center that probably looks like uh, something out of Star Trek? We,
1: we do. Yeah, we have our, <laughs> our control center is based at Romford. And okay. yeah, as you can imagine, there's all kinds of screens, all kinds of, you know, techn- technology there to make sure that we're controlling the service in, in the best way possible and to respond to the inevitable, you know, operational issues that, that crop up throughout the day.
0: Yeah. Is there anything else on the kind of the technology side or
1: lessons learned during COVID from real operations that you can share with us? I think, yeah you know, kind of, COVID was obviously a challenging time. So, um, you know, one of the big challenges we had, we were still, you know, testing and preparing for the Elizabeth Line. So things like all the driver training, when we had to try and carry on with driver training, when, when we but we needed to have, for example, two people in a cab. Oh, yeah. That was really challenging. But we managed to find a way around it by getting people to work in operation with bubbles, et cetera, and, and try and keep the the project going. I think, you know, in some cases, the lower passenger numbers during the COVID sort of helped us sort of bring forward some elements of the project that we wouldn't have been able to do if we'd had our full passenger volumes at those times. Um, But, but, you know, overall, it was a a bigger challenge, you know, that the whole industry faced and, you know, how do we, you know, run a service and deliver a project when, you know, we have to adhere to social distancing and, and quite a significant number of our staff were off sick at any one time.
0: Yeah. But coming out of it now, what do you see for the future for rail public transport in general?
1: So I think I, I see a positive future. We're seeing a very different trend in passenger, you know, numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so commuting has come back, but not quite to its full extent. And there's certainly a concentration of travels in the, towards the middle of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Yes, Wednesday. yeah. Quieter traveling days on um uh monday and friday but but really positively we're, we're seeing weekends and are now busier than they were pre-covid so you know people are making more leisure journeys and using the you know the railway to go out at the weekend to socialize and to, and to go to events which is really positive it so, is positive yeah so i think you know the rail industry i think is is now you know seeing those trends and is starting to you know adapt and and um, you know cater for the, the new sort of post-COVID um, travel demand.
0: Yeah, it, we're, we're heading into an era where I think, yeah, obviously, we don't have any experience in this in the past, but it's important. Uh, I've heard a lot of CEOs tell me, you know, let's not sell what they're not buying. <laughs> so if we're not riding as much on Mondays and Fridays, Maybe the uh, the headways get a little longer, and use that money to do some more work on nights and weekends.
1: Yeah, it, it's an interesting point, and I know you know some parts of the network. You know, people people are saying, "Well, is it the right time to do you know engineering work, for example, at weekends?" And should we be doing it on Mondays? I think it's quite a, a difficult one. I mean, we still do actually carry a lot of people on on Mondays as yeah. well. Yeah, we are <laughs> saying commuter volumes are right. are lower, but people still do need to go to work, so we have to we have to think about those things carefully. There's never a good time to to close the railway to do routine maintenance right yeah um and uh you're you're working with tfl which is uh kind of a unique
0: organization i think in that they're really part of the city government rep- reporting to the mayor absolutely how's that relationship working
1: i think the relationship works very well we have a close working relationship with, with transport for london they are our, essentially um you know they're they're our specifier and you know monitor our performance i want to make sure that we you know we are doing the right things so We've had a really, you know, constructive partnership, I think, in delivering this project and, you know, working together and, you know, we've been, you know, really trying to sort of help TfL sort of move the Crossrail project on as quickly as possible so that we can get to the end state of the Elizabeth line um, as soon as possible, which, you know, which we achieved this week. So it's over, right? All the new Uh, stuff is done now? Well, it's not over yet. Okay, what do you have left to do? No, we're we're still um, planning to increase the frequency. So this is the first end-to-end timetable. Um, It's certainly not the the end of it. Um, We'll be going up to a full 24 train per hour service in um, May next year. Okay. And increasing the number of trains that go to Heathrow from four an hour to six an hour. And we'll also be reducing the journey time. So there are more improvements planned Um, may next year and there will be further improvements beyond that
0: that's awesome well the next time i come to the uk i want to get on that train with you and it.
1: absolutely please, (laughs) please do it's a fantastic line
0: thanks mike for being our guest today and sharing with us some of the amazing things you're doing here in london thank you very much paul
1: it's time for think transit Registration is now open for Think Transit, which runs from April the 2nd through the 5th, 2023, in Nashville, Tennessee, at the beautiful Omni Hotel. The Think Transit Conference is where public transit agencies from across North America get together to learn from each other, listen to amazing speakers, and get the latest on public transit technology. We hope to see you there. Register now for early bird pricing at www.trapezegroup.com slash thinktransit.
2: Hi, I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. Service changes are a way of life in transit organizations. But what communication strategies and tactics do you need to be thinking of when you're making service changes beyond the norm, for example, when you're launching entirely new service? I keep three things in mind when helping transit agencies communicate new service. Begin to announce new service early, but not too early. The sweet spot is about a month in advance of the change. This will allow most people planning time if they need to change their schedules and it also permits for your marketing to be seen on multiple occasions so it can really sink in. You should also use as many communications channels and tactics as you have the bandwidth to manage. A media relations strategy could capture people who don't follow your social accounts. Highway billboards will announce the new service to drivers you might be able to convert into riders. Finally, Don't let your marketing drop off when new service launches. In addition to continuing to communicate in the immediate term after launch, use the first three months or so post-change to build ridership. If you'd like to talk more about communicating service additions or anything else related to communications in public transit, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y.
3: Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director for Terra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about leadership, mentorship, and kindness with the hopes it will inspire you to pay it forward. As the year comes to an end, it's the annual time for both reflection on the year that was, and a look ahead to the new year, and the goals and priorities that many of us may have, both personally and professionally. As I reflect on 2022, I do so with a lot of gratitude. I am thankful that the year was somewhat normal in transit after the prior years of the pandemic that none of us will forget. And I'm also grateful to have been part of the transit industry for another year, continuing to learn from my peers, gain many lifelong friends and colleagues, and simply do my best to contribute where I can for the betterment of public transit. I am forever thankful for my family and friends that continue to support me daily and everyone's well-being and health. As I look ahead to 2023 and what will be my 15th year in transit, I simply wanted to say this, please continue to learn, continue to ask and continue to contribute. You are all making a difference every day and having an impact that simply can't be measured. Although we know we do our best at trying to measure it with the latest technologies always in transit. Lastly, take some time off, decompress, hug your close ones and practice some kindness and gratitude. As always, if the chance presents itself over the holidays, please take an opportunity to commit a random act of kindness for someone who might not be in the same position as yourself and an opportunity to change someone's tomorrow. Kindness is cool. Thanks for listening and best of the season.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged News and Views with our special guest, Mike Bagshaw. Now, next week on Transit Unplugged In Depth, we have Dave McKenna, CEO of the Rocky Mountaineer. Don't forget to visit transitunplugged.com to sign up for the newsletter so you're always in the loop with whatever goes on in the show. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the show, Feel free to email us anytime at info at So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.